This episode contains violent content. Welcome back to Down Home Fear. My name is Hunter Keegan, and today I'm going to tell you about an absolutely awful story from Florida. This is one of the ones that was kind of depressing. Well, not kind of. It was really depressing to research. Uh, This one's going to make you lose your faith in humanity just a little bit more than you already have while listening to this show over the last few weeks. Um, where to start? So Florida gets a lot of representation in this show. Here's a list of available episodes so far that involve the state of Florida. Episode 11 through 13, which was the Casey and Kaylee Anthony series. Episode 14, Eileen Warnos. Episode 19, Oba Chandler. Episode 20, Two-Toed Tom. Episode 23, Ghost Ships of the South and episode 34, Dahlia and Michael DiPolito. Off the top of my head, I think the only state that has been featured more than Florida or equal to Florida would be the state of Texas. I think that the reason for this is that both of these states are very large with high population densities in major metropolitan areas, but they also have vast swaths of rural, unpopulated areas. Anyhow, the level of violence that people are willing to inflict on each other for the most vapid and selfish of reasons always freaks me out. I don't know what possibly could motivate someone to torture and kill an innocent person in cold blood, but very sadly and terrifyingly, these are things that happen in this world, and I doubt they'll end anytime soon. Today's story involves a young woman who had a bright future ahead of her that was tragically destroyed at the hands of three monsters. Her name was Denise O'Neill, and this is the horrific and infuriating story of her last moments and the justice that followed. July of 1995, 28-year-old Denise O'Neill was a young woman living in Palm Beach, Florida. She loved the arts, lived an active lifestyle, and was well-liked by her family and friends. She was a cautious type of person. If she got home after dark, she would always ask security guards at her apartment complex to escort her up to her apartment. She mostly kept to herself, and she lived her life quietly. Despite that she was often described as being somewhat introverted, she was attractive and kind-hearted. Her hobbies included scuba diving and tennis. Her dream was to become a school teacher, and while she searched to find a job as a teacher, she worked at a restaurant and made good money as a waitress. She also volunteered as a tutor at a local high school. She was punctual and professional, which is why when she suddenly stopped showing up to work one day, her manager was very concerned. She was reported missing, and when police arrived at her apartment to search for her, they found that it was in perfect condition. There were no signs of a break-in or struggle. 
When they spoke with her neighbors, no one at Denise's apartment complex had overheard an argument or altercation. How they didn't overhear an argument or altercation is anyone's guess, and we'll get into why in just a little bit. When the police checked Denise's voicemail messages on her home phone, it was found that she had received an alert from her bank saying that there appeared to be unauthorized spending on her ATM card. This was the first clue that police had, suggesting that something was amiss. On that same day, the police found her car across the street from her apartment. It seemed that the car had been used by another person. Denise was a bit of a clean freak, but her car was full of trash. They also found a cigarette butt in the car, which was odd because Denise did not smoke. The cops dusted for fingerprints, and they found 20 prints throughout the car that did not belong to Denise. Even more suspiciously, the police checked her credit card purchase history and saw that she had purchased a new pair of women's running shoes just hours before not showing up to work. The timestamp on the credit card transaction allowed police to establish that she had disappeared sometime between 2.30 p.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on July 13, 1995. Denise's body was found two days later, 46 miles away from her home. She was floating face down in a canal. She had been wrapped up in a pink sheet that had been tied together with power cords and a belt. Her hands and feet were also bound with shoestrings and a dog leash. A local woman had spotted the body and called 911 to report the grim discovery. The medical examiners found that Denise had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Using DNA evidence found on her body, police determined that the killer was indeed a male. But the power cords that had been used to wrap the sheet around Denise's body weren't just regular extension cords. They were attached to heat rocks, the kind you would see in a reptile tank. You know, those little rocks that warm up so people with pet reptiles like snakes or lizards can keep them warm inside their enclosures. They also found black dog hairs in Denise's car. Using this information, the police now knew that the killer had a black pet dog and also a pet reptile of some kind. They also knew that the killer's waist size was about 36 inches because that was the length of the belt that had been used to wrap the pink sheet around Denise's body. Using bank records, police found that in the hours after Denise disappeared, someone had used her ATM card to withdraw several hundred dollars from her checking account. Sadly, the security camera at the ATM wasn't working properly, so police couldn't acquire video evidence to identify the killer. But then something odd happened. On local news reports regarding the murder, police noticed that one of Denise's neighbors kept showing up in interviews with reporters. His name was Louis Caballero, and he was 21 years old and unemployed. He was a high school dropout with a learning disability and penchant for paid phone sex. He was a large man with a stocky build, weighing in at 245 pounds. In one interview before Denise's body was found, Lewis referred to Denise in the past tense, a classic mistake it seems. This suggested that he knew she was already dead. Caballero was Denise's next door neighbor, 
In one interview with reporters, he said that he would try to say hi to Denise when he saw her around the complex, but that she was very quiet and always seemed to keep to herself. When investigators went to question Lewis, he wasn't home, but they could hear a dog barking. When they looked through his front window, police saw that it was a black dog, suggesting that the black hairs found in Denise's car could have come from that very apartment. They continued questioning other neighbors, and someone offhandedly mentioned that Louis Caballero owned a pet snake, a boa constrictor. Louis quickly became the prime suspect in the case. When police finally got a hold of Caballero and questioned him on July 19, 1995, six days after Denise O'Neill had disappeared, it seemed that he didn't like Denise very much. He described her as uptight and rude, but he denied being involved with her death and said that he generally had few interactions with her. But this didn't dissuade the police. The police determined that Lewis had a possible motive for the murder and theft. He was thousands of dollars in debt due to paying for phone sex lines, with some of the calls lasting over two hours at a time. He was also behind on his rent and facing eviction. When cops obtained a search warrant for Caballero's apartment, they were surprised at the amount of pornography that he had stashed throughout. It was violent pornography. One investigator described it as, quote, real sick stuff. They also found a pet boa constrictor in the apartment. It lived in a small tank that showed impressions on the bottom of the terrarium, suggesting that rock-shaped objects had recently been removed from the enclosure. They also found a reddish-brown stain on Lewis's carpet. The police suspected that it was blood, so they used luminol, the substance that glows under black light when it comes into contact with blood. You've probably seen it before on TV or in a movie. And they determined that numerous blood stains had soaked into the carpet. Other important items were found as well, such as a pair of scissors that contained fibers from Denise's shirt that she'd been wearing on the day of her disappearance. They also found a gym membership card that belonged to Denise. It was hidden under a cardboard box in the bedroom of Lewis's apartment. When brought to the police station for formal questioning, Lewis insisted that he had never been inside Denise's car and that he had no involvement with her disappearance and death. When told that his fingerprints had been found in the vehicle, his story suddenly changed, and he claimed that he had been an unwitting accomplice to a murder. He said that, in fact, the murder had been committed by his friend and roommate, 19-year-old Isaac Brown. He said Isaac approached Denise in the hallway of the apartment and grabbed her from behind. He claimed that he was shocked by Isaac's actions and never thought him capable of such an attack. When Isaac Brown was questioned, he also confessed to being involved in the murder, but he said that Lewis was the killer. Brown went on to say that Caballero had been plotting to rob Denise for months. Brown's fingerprints were also found in Denise's car, proving that he had been in the vehicle as well. The two men had conflicting accounts of the events that had transpired. However, one similarity between their stories was that they both said they'd eaten breakfast just hours after disposing of Denise's body. They had eaten at an IHOP restaurant, 
Interestingly, on the receipt from the restaurant, it said that there had been three customers. Remember the belt that had been used to wrap the sheet around Denise? It didn't fit Cavallero or Brown. This made investigators believe that there was a third accomplice who had helped carry out the murder, and they were correct. Police ran a background check on Luis Caballero and found that just a month before the murders, he and an accomplice had been arrested for stealing a car. The accomplice was a 20-year-old man named Robert Messer. Robert Messer's fingerprints were found to match with fingerprints that had been discovered in the trunk of Denise's car, confirming that he had been in the vehicle as well. Messer said that he was not directly involved in the rape and murder of Denise O'Neill. He said that he had sat in Caballero's living room while Brown and Caballero... Fuck this guy. Like, seriously, though. So he said that he had sat in Caballero's living room while Brown and Caballero assaulted Denise in the bedroom. What a great fucking guy. Can you believe this shit? I don't know. Sorry, man. This shit pisses me off. Should I try that again? How can you stand by and just let something like that happen? It's fucking atrocious. He said he covered his ears and turned the TV up loud to try to ignore Denise's screams. All three men were charged with first-degree murder, but when DNA evidence came back, only Louis Caballero seemed to be guilty of the rape. Denise had been brutally murdered for a total of $1,200. That's between the ATM card that was stolen as well as credit card transactions that the men placed after Denise's murder. The three men had promptly spent the money on paying overdue bills, shopping at flea markets, and making other small purchases. The police theorized that Caballero had ambushed Denise outside of her own apartment in broad daylight and forced her into Caballero's apartment where Isaac Brown helped him tie her up. They then violently beat her until she gave him their PIN number so that they could steal the money from her checking account using the ATM card. Caballero went to get the money while Isaac Brown kept watch over Denise in the apartment. On the way back from withdrawing the money from the ATM, the police believe that Caballero picked up Messer and brought him back to the apartment as well. It was then theorized that at some point, Denise intentionally removed her gym membership card from her wallet and secretly stashed it beneath the cardboard box in Louis Caballero's apartment, presumably so that there would be some evidence that she had been in that room. When Caballero returned to his apartment, he raped Denise and then used the electrical cord from the heat rocks to strangle her. They wrapped her body with the pink sheet and then used Denise's own car to drive her to the canal where they disposed of her body. Afterwards, they got breakfast at IHOP. Ultimately, after being apprehended, Robert Messer was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Isaac Brown was convicted of five counts, including second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Louis Caballero was convicted of kidnapping and murder and was sentenced to death. As for Denise's family members, her mother said that the three men were all monsters and should have been burned alive for their crimes against her daughter. 
In 2013, Luis Caballero died of cancer at age 39 while awaiting execution. Denise's mother spoke to reporters once again, saying, and I quote, The air is a bit cleaner today because he is dead. I hope he suffered from the cancer. I hope he got his just rewards. He was just a monster. I wholeheartedly agree with Denise's mother. What a horrible, horrible tragedy. I get so angry about this type of crime. Denise was doing everything right. She was cautious, she was working to make the world a better place, and she was violently killed by thugs for $1,200. That's it, $1,200 and this woman's life was extinguished. The killers were spending her money on material objects while she was floating beaten, raped, and strangled face down in a canal. Meanwhile, her family and friends desperately were wondering where she was and what had happened to her. In some other sources that I read while researching this show, it was suggested that Louis Caballero also raped Denise's body post-mortem. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but this story is already so messed up that I certainly wouldn't think that such a heinous crime would be below him. These are the questions that haunt us, and the crimes that not only end the lives of the victims, but ruin the lives of their family and friends as they wish for their loved one to return. Pieces of human garbage like Caballero and his accomplices mar the world by leaving empty spaces and broken hearts, all for nothing. Home fear has been around for quite a while now, and I think it's safe to say that we've been around the block at this point. Still, stories like this one really make you think about how brutal this world can be. Lately, I've been living in a basement apartment. I keep odd hours that often leave me up late at night working on various projects, and the thought of abductions and home invasions kind of freaks me out. I have this weird fear, a paranoia almost, of someone breaking in and trying to kill me at night. So that's fun. DHF definitely doesn't help alleviate those fears, but at least it keeps us all on guard. In 2011, the FBI estimated that around 54% of murder victims actually knew the perpetrator in some capacity. In the case of Denise O'Neill, she knew Caballero from seeing him around her apartment complex and having brief interactions with him while he plotted to kill her. The perpetrators in this story were not particularly smart. How dumb do you have to be to kill your next-door neighbor and then use their own vehicle to dispose of the body and then show up in multiple local news reports being interviewed about the crime? I've been trying to think of what the takeaway from this story is. Perhaps it's simply that violence can happen to anyone. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'm on Twitter at HHKeegan. Our Facebook group is Down Home Fear Podcast. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thanks for joining me today for this absolutely terrible story. I'll be back with more stories of depravity next week. Until then, stay safe and try to focus on the good things in life.
Thank you for listening. with Hunter Keegan is a Lost.Press production. Visit hhkeegan.com to support the show. Follow us on Twitter at Down Home Fear and at hhkeegan.